In a world where it seems like there is so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who spend their lives doing good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I am your host, Carmen Herbert, and today I am so excited to have on the podcast, Scott Woodward. Scott has been teaching professionally in the church education system for two decades, including seminary and institutes, the BYU Religion Department, and currently as a member of the BYU-Idaho Religion Faculty. Scott is a speaker at Education Week and Church Symposia, and is also a managing director of and content producer for Doctrine and Covenants Central, which is an affiliate of Book of Mormon Central. Scott graduated with his PhD in Instructional Psychology and Technology from BYU. He lives with his family in the beautiful Rexburg, Idaho, and Peach Cobbler in beautiful Rexburg, Idaho, and Peach Cobbler is his dessert of choice. Oh, have you ever had R&R barbecue peach cobbler? No, sounds like I'm missing out. Okay, if peach cobbler is your favorite dessert, you might not find a better one anywhere. R&R barbecue, they make our barbecue. Yes. The best. And I, I'm picky with peach cobbler. Do you like the pie or do you like the oat crust? Oat crust. Yeah. In the, in like a, you know, one of those, what do we, what do we call those? Those pots, the, the shoe, like the skillet, (laughs) you stick them in the fire forever and they have like the coals on top of them. Why is that? Why am I blanking on the name? Oh yeah. Yep. uh, Like tinfoil dinners. Uh-huh. Oh, no, no, no. But it's Dutch a, oven. It's Dutch oven. That's the one. Okay. There you go. Let me, let me grab that. Let me. <laughs> Dutch oven. I'm like, hold on. Yes. Let me pull this from the back of my brain. Yes. I'm like the hot pot that you stick in the fire with that guy. Yeah. Okay. So let me try that again. <clears throat> yeah. My, yes. My favorite, my favorite version of peach cobbler is Dutch oven with some yummy vanilla ice cream on top. There you oh, go. that sounds and like warm, like it has to be warm. Oh right? yeah, it has to be has to melt your ice cream and kind yes. of mix in. Yes. Oh, so, do you make this? Does your wife make this? Like, who makes these amazing peach cobblers? Uh, my wife makes a version, but Dutch oven. We still have to master the Dutch oven. We're we're still working on that, but uh, we do a, we do an oven version. It's pretty good. But when I have Dutch oven, that just melts, just melts me. Oh, it's it's a little (laughs) bit of work, but it's worth it. It is worth it. That sounds amazing. And now it's the summertime. We've got peaches, Mm -hmm. peach season coming up. So they are, I love, I love peach and I love apple crisp. It's kind of a toss up for me, peach cobbler and apple crisp. Like they're both really, really good. I respect that. (laughs) I respect that. So it's funny that that's like what I latched onto from like, look at all of your amazing accomplishments. And I'm like, you like peach cobbler. So you, because you've been in the church education system for so long, nearly two decades, you, Mm. you know, your stuff and you, you, I'm sure you've heard, I'm sure you've heard it all when it comes to (laughs) naysayers trying to disprove and, and trying to you know, slander Joseph Smith and and the Book of Mormon and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Is it safe to say, would you say you've heard the majority, like when people say, yeah, but what about this? And ooh, but what about this anti-Mormon piece of literature? Have you kind of heard most of it and seen it all? I think so. I haven't, I haven't heard anything new in a long time. So I think so. Which is interesting because when I have several friends that have, that are in the process of, or have already left the church and they've, Mm. they've been sending me things, which I promptly delete 
And they, but the things that, that they have sent me, my husband who, who served a mission and who saw a lot of anti-Mormon stuff on his mission, he's like, these are the same things. It's the same things. So without new, we live in an information age and there's, I mean, anything is, is at our fingertips, which is, I think why the church has been publishing saints. It's like, this previously stuff that that wasn't known or talked about as much now because you can get your hands on anything they are presenting it first and in a way that is this is the facts this is where it's come from you can read and learn and and be really open the doors wide into church history and and in a way that you know my 12 year old will now know things that me as a 37 year old had no idea about church history and some some of the things that went on so I think it's interesting that while there there isn't anything really new that has been that people can kind of shock you with. So doesn't that say that if they're just kind of cycling the same old things, I mean, shouldn't that in and of itself say you're still not coming up with any like these have all been debunked. These have all like these sources. How come people are still they hold on to these things and trying to disprove the church when it's like, these are old. These don't, it, do you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to find like the yeah. right, the right words to say, why is it that people are still using the same old things to disprove it when we have disproven their theologies and their, and their, you know, and, and their doc, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, like they're what they think is doctrine to prove the church is not true. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I wish I had a perfect answer for you, but my thoughts on that are that the technological access that we have today, I think, is the thing. I think not everyone in the world has heard all the arguments against the church. Those that I, I respect the most, those I think that to have the best grasp of church history tend to be, in my experience, those who are most faithful, those who know the most facts about church history. Yeah. And I think we would we would say, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone, but I think we would say that our, our testimonies are not based in the church history, but on witness from the Holy Ghost of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon about the Savior and His atoning sacrifice, the fact that we have living prophets today. I think we have an independent witness from the history. But I've noticed those who, who tend to know the history the best and the facts the in the most nuance and in the context in which they occurred historically and theologically, those, those tend to be, in, in my experience, the most well-grounded. You know, Richard Turley, he once said that the problem is not knowing too much church history. The problem is not knowing enough, right? Some people just know right. enough, to sh enough to shock them, yeah, not enough yeah. to, to, to contextualize the, the, the details and the, uh, and the facts, right? Sometimes I liken it to an electric wire, right? That if you've got that protective rubber sheath around the wire, it's not shocking. But yeah. if you touch a bare wire, it, it shocks you. And sometimes I think what critics of the church like to do is expose a bare wire, which is a historical fact devoid of the context. And then it, it's shocking when people come in contact, whether it's about Joseph Smith's polygamy, whether it's about, oh, I don't know, something Brigham Young said, or you know what I mean? That, that's like kind of kind of shocking uh, on, on the face. Yeah. Uh, but but I found that when you when you can contextualize it, when you can put that rubber sheath around it, as it were, of context, most of the facts of church history are not are are not so shocking at all. 
And, and it's those who I think have that broad understanding of, of, of church history that tend to, and it's not, it's not a hundred percent true, but they tend to be the most faithful. I do, yeah. I do grant that there are some people who know the history very well and they, and they are not believers and that's, and that's okay as well. But, but my experience is by and large, we not, we need not be afraid of the history because those who know it the best tend to, to be believers. And uh, right. So if, you, if you've come across something shocking, and, and today I think TikTok is, I know, I've heard there's like some insane number. I, I want to say it was in the millions of TikTok, little just short blurbs, right, of, of anti-Latter-day Saint material, a little church history blurb. Did you know this about Joseph Smith? Did yeah, you know yeah, yeah. About his plural marriages. Did you know that? Right. And it's just a 30-second, like, pop, right? Here's a little here's a little bare wire. Shock, shock, yes. shock, which is, you know, it's going to take, it's going to take probably 10 minutes to to form the context around that shocking fact to, to yes. neutralize the the shock factor and so TikTok is not it's it's a fantastic platform for shocking people but it's not a very good platform for explaining the historical context that helps to neutralize the shock factor in sure. my experience so so I don't know maybe it's is it technological access I think so that there's more people that can more quickly gain access to non-contextualized historical stuff that that can be shocking about the about the church or its leaders. And again, that's, I said, it's not a, kind of not going to be a perfect response, but I think my, my knee-jerk response to your, your question is it's, it's about technology, not about new and improved arguments against the church. I think it's just, as, as new, Hugh Nibley once called it, he said it's, it's a bunch of reheated leftovers. Yeah. Leftovers, but now they can package it, you know, in little digital bite-sized chunks that uh, people don't have to go out and buy anti-Latter-day Saint books. They can just go check out stuff on the internet for free and yeah. do it. And I think, I think that's it. That's perfect. And, and, and along with that shock is I love that analogy of like the, the open wire, like the, whoa, what? And along with that is the comments then that people add on to that. So now there's people, you can instantly get opinions from hundreds of people too, instead of listen, hearing this from one person and wow, that seems weird. Now there's hundreds of people that can comment on something like this. Well, my, yeah. you know, and so then it seems like more people are, are agree with or on board than than maybe that's really true. We we had a conversation with Derek Miller, who's a good family friend of ours, and he's a state president. And we were talking about one of our friends that said people are leaving the church in droves. And she was she shared some statistic that talked about the church declining and he said, that is so funny. It's it's actually completely false. We actually had a meeting about this with the general authority and we have the numbers. Like we have the statistics. The church is on top of this and, and the church has never declined. He said it's leveled out sometimes, but it has mm -hmm. never gone down. And he said it is only increasing church membership throughout the world. And he was sharing these statistics with us and it's so easy to hear something or latch onto something like, see, people are leaving. They don't believe it when actually it's like, no, that's the people that often are the loudest are sometimes have misinformation and but but they are very loud about it. And it seems like this is what is believable. And he said, here are the actual numbers and here's what is actually happening. And it was so sweet and refreshing to hear like, no, the church is growing at an increased rate. There's never been more activity in the church, even despite the pandemic and things, which kind of, of course, it was so hard. To, I mean, we weren't going to church, so it's hard to know like who's active. Yeah. 
And he said, but even despite that, the church is growing and it is increasing. It's spreading throughout the world as Joseph Smith said it would. And, and it, these, the sometimes, you know, this false information it's it, and it seems believable and then you can debunk it and it's almost funny is if you tell these people well actually here's then they jump right to the next oh okay well then how about this and why do you think that people that that have struggled with the church or or are leaving why why do you think they have such a vendetta against members why can't they just leave and walk away and be like you know what this isn't serving me anymore why do you think then they have to disprove it or lead others away with them because i found with friends and family members who i love dearly that have it's like they cannot leave it alone why do you think that is wow great question you know i my experience has been that some are respectful and can can bow out and i don't always have to to fight and try to take others down with them but that's in my experience the minority I think the the human reaction, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm trying to have the most charitable view of this. I think I think it's we need to justify our behavior, right? We're, we need to show. I'm saying we, they, they need to show that you know they're not these evil apostates who are who are leaving because they just want to go do drugs and have you know extramarital sex. The the truth is they just they don't believe it anymore because they found out X Y Z. And as a respectable person, I'd like to, I'd like you to know why I left. Here's, here's my reasons. Yeah. And I, if you're happy in the church, fine, but I'm not. And that's why I left. Sure. And these, are, these are my reasons for doing it. And I, I want you to know that I'm, you know, I, I did it in good faith, it, you know, in the sense of I'm not, I'm not trying to go out there and be a, a, a despicable human. Like I, I still have standards. I still want to, you know, I, I still believe in human dignity and I, I believe in doing good to mankind. I mean, that's the majority of people I know who've left the church are still decent humans and they're trying to do good in the world, but they're, they, they just don't believe in the, in the, the faith propositions anymore. They don't believe that Joseph Smith was a true prophet or that the Book of Mormon's true or some of the, the fundamental beliefs we have about God, the father and the son. And oftentimes it's cultural issues that will, will rock them. Right. Sometimes it's LBGT yeah. issues. And they think that they're being treated unfairly or that the church is out of touch or the church leadership hasn't, right? And there, there's a lot, of thi- a lot of things that I think, you know, like I said, trying to have the, the most charitable view of what's happening, like, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. I think we can all relate with moments where, you know, we, we struggled or we questioned and it's just what do you do then, right? What's, what's your next move after you come across something shocking? or you've come to something you disagree with. The difference in, in, in all of us, right? It just depends on what your next move is. Now, what are you going to do? How right. are you going to resolve? Are you going to try to resolve that concern by digging deeper? Like Richard Turley said, if it's a church history issue, you got to dig deeper. Not, don't pull yeah. back. Don't, don't yeah. abandon the ship. You got to go deeper now. You know, if it's a social issue, there's, there's other ways I think of going about that. But what do you do next, right? We're all going to come across shocking things or things we disagree with that maybe prophets have said or church policies about things. And so, and so now what? So the difference yep. between those who stay and those who leave is not awareness of issues. Maybe in some cases that's the case, but, but I yep. think yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of people who, who, who stay. There's a great, great website, if I could put a plug in. Elder Hafen, Elder Brucey Hafen's got a book called Faith is Not Blind. 
And then his his daughter and son-in-law, the Deveniers, they're they're actually in my ward here in Rexburg. They have gone throughout the world interviewing people, and they've put these interviews online on a website called Faith Is Not Blind. I think it's .org. Faith Is Not Blind .org, and it's just testimony after testimony after testimony of people who are aware of these issues, whether it's historical or social issues, who have maybe struggled themselves but have worked through the complexity of those issues and have come out on the side of faith. Faith is not blind, right, is a statement of, it's not, you know, if you knew, if you only knew this issue, then you would be out. That is demonstrably not true, right? Uh, When we come to the complexity, and as adults, I think we, most of us do, and, and a lot of youth are, are getting hit younger and younger these days with complexity. The, the question is, what's your next move, right? Because it's not automatic. It's not, well, I guess I got to leave the church. Or it's not, you know what, I'm just going to stay faithful. Like it, your next move matters after you, you hit the complexity. Can you work through that and come out on the side of faith? And uh, hundreds and thousands of, of faithful, thoughtful members of the church say, yes. Yes, you can. Yes, you can come out faithful on the other side of that. And it's not closing a blind eye. You know, it's it's not trying to pretend issues don't exist because they do. It's just that this is not an all or nothing proposition, right? Yeah. There's there's ways to work through this in which you can have vibrant, beautiful, harmonious, joyful faith, and you don't you don't have to leave. But for those who do leave, again, I say with some empathy. Okay, like I respect you, and I understand the reason that you want to justify your your leaving to, especially yes. in the faith community, is so that we don't vilify you. We don't think you're apostate, and and just and just. So I think I wish we could respect each other more. Absolutely, those who leave don't look at those who stay as as blind and and mindless, and right. those who those who stay don't look at those who leave as as just you know, uh, apostates who just want to go out and, uh, and break all the commandments. No, really the, right. Just want to indulge the natural man. That's, that's the only reason they're leaving. I think if we could just respect each other a little better, I think this would be, <laughs> it would be a step in the right direction. Spot on, spot on. And, and I know there are people that, you know, listen to this podcast that either have had faith crisis themselves, maybe they're going through some or, or have children or, or family members that are going through this. And, and in no way, I'm, sometimes I come across strong when I'm like, ah, oh, these people leave. From my experience, it's it's usually something to do with church history, something they've heard or read that they cannot get over. And, mm-hmm. and, and like you said, the answer is to find out more and dig deeper and see if you can reconcile and learn more about Joseph Smith, the man, because he was a man and so imperfect. And this was a baby church that he was restoring from Christ Jesus Christ time that was I mean he had no idea it was line upon line thing I'm sure Heavenly Father sometimes like no no that's not what okay let's start over Joseph like no that's not that's not what I meant when I said that like they're just trying out and doing their best and making mistakes and and Heavenly Father is letting him because of the gift of agency and trial and error and that's the only way we can learn is trying things and learning and and also teaching him to rely on him, like with the whole Martin Harris thing. With some part of that, I think was learning to let him trust him. Like this is why you should have trusted me, but I'm still going to let you make mistakes even within the church because that is how you learn and grow and learn to have faith and trust. So, I I I hope I haven't come across as you know everyone that 
left has has just lost their faith and and isn't trying hard enough because I know people that have that it was a devastating heartbreaking year long process in making that decision but but I do think that nothing in life is final and and if they're if they ever were to find their way back and find maybe little by little answers to the questions that they've had that we should be willing as members to just wrap them in our arms and say, yes, come back. We want you. We need you. And it's not like, well, once you're out, you're out or, you know, it, 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 there is room for everyone at all times. And, and, and like you said that this faith, the thing that I love so much about the church is it is joyful and beautiful and harmonious and, and hopeful. I love that, that you use those words that it really is a place of peace. And, and I haven't found anything that that provides that sense of community and love for each other and, and peace as the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, so in, in talking about all of this and, and, you know, now people that have left and, and how we can love them and, and, and maybe help our own faith when it's going through a crisis, let's talk about being doctrinally confident. So how Mm. can we know that this is the true church and that the doctrines that are being taught are factual and true and not just, wow, what a beautiful sentiment. There's life after death. We go to heaven. We live with Jesus. Like that sounds great. Do you feel like you really can know, or do you feel like you can just have extremely strong faith and we really won't have that sure knowledge until we die and get to the next life? Wow. Tremendous questions. Yeah, that's and that's a bit of uh, of work I've done a lot a lot on is is this idea of becoming doctrinally confident. You know, serious students of of Latter Day Saint teachings, we know that it's not always easy to discern whether a particular teaching is true doctrine or is just a well formed opinion, or right. it's it's just a cultural idea that's been taught over and over again until it's become been kind of collectively assumed by us to be true. This is certainly true. I'm sure all in the church have experienced this on the local level as we're, you know, sitting at the feet of volunteer teachers. It's also true, however, at the general level, general authorities, even members of the Quorum of the Twelve, First Presidency, and and even the president of the church has shared opinions. Uh, They've they've said things that we later on find, oh, that wasn't quite right. (laughs) That was not accurate. In fact, you know, let me go back to my my journey a little bit on this. When I was about 17 years old, so this is a long time ago, 17 years old, I started I started collecting quotes from prophets and apostles. I started alphabetizing. I got a little box, a little a little six by four box, if I remember right, or no, I can't remember the dimension, but it was, I had like three by five cards that I would put uh, quotes from apostles on. I had alphabetized them by topic. And then I, I just started collecting. I got hundreds and hundreds of quotes on all the topics that I could, I could think of, that I could find anything about. I just had a lot of questions. And I knew I was going to be going on a mission. I wanted to be able to teach true doctrine, right? Because whatever the apostles and prophets said was true doctrine. That's what I thought as a 17-year-old. But over time, I started finding statements that by the prophets themselves telling me that, you know, sometimes what they say is is, is not a true doctrine. For instance, let me pull up a quote here from Elder Christofferson. It's a great one. He said, this is in 2012, in General Conference, he said, it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It's commonly understood in the church 
that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well-considered opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. <laughs> and, you know, quotes like that, you know, I, I realized that if I believe that everything that Elder Christofferson said was true because he was an apostle, yeah. then based on the logic of that quote, I couldn't always believe that everything Elder Christofferson said was true because he just told me, I can't. <laughs> Sometimes it's going to yeah. be well-considered opinion. I found other quotes from other leaders. Harold B. Lee, he said, it's not to be thought that every word spoken by our leaders is inspired. It's not to be thought that every word spoken by general authorities is inspired or that they're moved upon by the Holy Ghost in everything they write. Boy, that, that kind of rocked me because that was my assumption. My assumption was if it comes from them, it's inspired, it's from God, and I can rely on it 100%. But they themselves, the apostles themselves, started to tell me that that's, that's not the case. Elder Oaks, just in 2018, at a news press, a news conference when President Nelson became church president and President Oaks was in the first presidency, he said in there, he said, it's a, it's a great comfort to me to know that I don't have to take the statement or actions of one particular leader as expressive of the doctrine and expectations of the church. Then he said, we don't believe in the infallibility of our leaders, right? In other words, we do believe our leaders make mistakes, sometimes even doctrinal ones. And what, what I'm hitting on here is a journey that I went through that I think a lot of young adults go through, sometimes uh, older adults, is that we, when we start to realize that Prophets and apostles have made mistakes in the past. You mentioned Joseph Smith and loss of the 116 pages. I mean, that's the, one of the earliest major errors that an that a, right, we call him an apostle at the time, but that Joseph Smith is so egregious, right? We're still suffering from the loss of the 116 pages, right? We don't know what was in there. We don't know how we could be benefited, but, but we certainly lost something that Mormons spent a ton of time on, and so did Joseph Smith, that, that was meant, meant to bless our lives. Of course, prophets and apostles can make mistakes, but when it comes to doctrine, I've noticed that sometimes students that I teach or others that I, that I learn about, family members or, or, or whatnot, they'll find usually floating around on the internet somewhere, some statement from a church leader that we now know is not true, something that they said that we can now prove is false and, or culturally very insensitive or, or whatever. And that is used to deteriorate our confidence in the authority of the apostles altogether. And this, this is another way I think that faith crisis comes about is by eroding our confidence in the authority of living prophets and apostles. For instance, I'll just give you one example. Joseph Fielding Smith, he once said in 1961, he said, we will never get a man into space. This earth is man's sphere. It was never intended he should get away from it. The moon is a superior planet to the earth. It was never intended that man should go there. And then he said, you can write it down in your books that this will never happen. That was oh, my 1961. gosh. <laughs> yeah. 1961. And then guess what happened in 1969, eight years later, right? That's when the first moon landing happens. And then guess what happens the next year? 1970, President Smith becomes president of the church. And at a press conference the very next day that he assumed leadership of the church, a reporter apparently asked him, about his, his moon statement, right? What, what about your moon statement? To which he reportedly replied, he said, well, I was wrong, wasn't I? Yeah. I was wrong. I was wrong. Yep. Yep. The next question, right? That, that's it, right? So, uh, you know, I, I thought, I thought that prophets and apostles wouldn't make mistakes like that, but it turns out that they do. And actually, as I read the scriptures, they have been making mistakes for a long time. But so now the question isn't just, can prophets and apostles make mistakes? Of course they can. And I, I've got a whole just list of 
prophets themselves admitting we can make mistakes. Yeah. Not not everything we say. Here, I'll, I'll give you like two or three more examples just to, and then I want to talk about the solution to this. I don't want to just bring up all these quotes and then leave our listeners thinking, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> what, am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do with that? But for instance, Elder McConkie, right, known to be pretty solid doctrinally, he said, quote, prophets are men and they make mistakes. Sometimes they err in doctrine. Brigham Young, he said, can a prophet be mistaken? I'll acknowledge that all the time, he said. Uh, yeah. Another time Brigham Young said, I have known many times I have preached wrong. Close quote. We've got, so we, they're not trying to hide this. Uh, you know, yeah. Joseph Smith's famous quote that a prophet is only a prophet when he's acting as such. David O. McKay saying, when a God makes a, the prophet, he does not unmake the man. Right. Suggesting that the personality, the biases, the training, the gospel understanding, that a man has before he becomes church president is still going to be with him when he after he becomes church president. You don't magically somehow change your understanding, right? So all of this, right, is to say, well, so that assumption's wrong, right? Let's check our assumptions, and that, that's all it is. I yeah. assumed that every word they said was true. That's obviously not true by their own admission, and we can look up quotes that sometimes we, we, we see that and we say, okay, yeah, that's... That wasn't right. We, we made it to the moon, right? Or, you know, right. on, more seri- on more serious notes, Brigham Young's made some statements about black Africans, talking about their connection to Cain and this curse of Cain doctrine he believed in, that, that, that modern leaders, our current leadership, First Presidency 12, they have, they have totally denounced that. They have, they have said that that's not a true doctrine, right? That, that black Africans descend from Cain and therefore they have some curse. Yeah. Uh, that's been a hurt. That's been a hurtful doctrine that Brigham Young taught, and I think we're still there's there's still segments in the church and outside the church that that still hurt over that kind of sentiment that Brigham Young, George Q. Cannon, and a few other church leaders talked about. So this got me. This really got me on a journey of trying to figure out. Okay, well then, how do we discern true doctrine if it's not just find a quote from an apostle? Yes. And then that, then that's it. So now we're good, right? Right. <laughs> Turns out that's not it. That's not it. The, so the prophets and apostles themselves have have repeatedly taught the way the way that true doctrine is to be established is well in th- in three ways the, the first question and I, and I call these the, the three lenses to discerning doctrine or three lenses to becoming doctrinally confident yeah. the first one is is it taught in the scriptures repeatedly then the second one is is it taught by the prophets repeatedly and the third one is is it confirmed by the spirit and those three work together as kind of a I call it a doctrinal heuristic, right? It's an imperfect but but helpful way to, to problem solve when you're trying to discern the truthfulness of, of, of a doctrine. We can totally allow for prophets and apostles to have opinions and make mistakes and, and still know that they are true prophets and apostles because that's what a prophet and apostle is. It's a man who's been called by God, uh, been given the keys of the kingdom to help lead and guide the church. They have not been commissioned by God to speak perfect truth all the time. That's not part of their commission. Can't find that anywhere. But they are they are commissioned to build up God's kingdom on earth and to be special witnesses of Jesus Christ. That is their commission. And they do fantastic at that. And they also teach doctrine. Oftentimes it's true. Most of the time it's true. But occasionally there's there's some slips. And, and we can just allow for that. Just be flexible, not rigid when it comes to apostles. So, so scripture, scripture is going to be the the primary lens to, to understanding doctrine. Sorry, am I, am I going too long on this, Carmen? No, this off is, time. no, no, no. This is awesome. Okay. I'm just letting okay. you go because I'm learning okay. so much. So please. Okay. Continue. Okay. So listen, to, just I'll just share a few thoughts from some of the apostles on this. 
and gotcha. church presidents. Like, so President Hinckley, this is a general authority training. He's training general authorities on this. He said to them, when all is said and done, the test of the doctrine lies in the standard works of the church. These have been accepted in conference and assembled as our doctrinal standards, right? Elder Christofferson, he said, the scriptures are the touchstone for measuring correctness and truth. I love uh, that. So good. President Lee, he said, if anyone, regardless of his position in the church, were to advance a doctrine that's not substantiated by the standard church works, right? This, this Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Progress Prize, Bible, then you may know that his statement is merely his private opinion. My, my favorite is Joseph Fielding Smith. He calls himself out a lot. He'll say, he'll say, if Joseph Fielding Smith says something which cannot be substantiated by the standard works, then every member of the church is duty-bound to reject it. <laughs> he said, everything that I say and everything that any other person says must square itself with that which the Lord has revealed, or it should be rejected. We're only bound, President Hubie Brown said, remember the First Presidency, we are only bound by the four standard works, and we are not required to defend what any man or woman says outside of them. McConkie, this is a pretty bold statement, he said, Though general authorities are authorities in the sense of having power to administer church affairs, they may or may not be authorities in the sense of doctrinal knowledge, right? It's not automatic. It doesn't come by ordination. It comes by study. It comes by deep study, learning, guidance. And so, so quote after quote from apostles, especially some heavy doctrinal hitters, tell us that the most important lens in trying to dis discern true doctrine, what is theologically true and eternal, is to go into the standard works, to study the scriptures deeply, look for repeated patterns, and that's, that's how we can come to have high doctrinal confidence, right? Of course, the problem with scripture, <laughs> let, me, let me problematize this a little bit, is that we know that scriptural misinterpretation is real, and we also know that there are errors even in scripture, right? We don't believe that scripture is inerrant any more than we think living prophets are inerrant. Right. Well, in, I mean, the very the title page of the Book of Mormon says, if there are errors, they are yeah. like it, it right at the beginning said, listen, like I yeah. did the best I could. I'm translating from totally. gold plates that are ancient. So if I made a mistake, I'm sorry. And Heavenly Father will, he'll I'm sure help smooth things out in the end. That's it. And I think, I think Moroni was totally catching the human nature that he says, if there's errors, they're, they're, they're the mistakes of men, but do not condemn the things of God. Right. And what we can do is we can conflate those two. We can say, oh, a human made an error. Therefore, this work of God is false. And, that, and right. Mor Moroni is pleading with readers, please don't do that. Right. Uh, reckon, recognize that we're, we're men. We're doing the best we could. We are called of God to do a work. We gave it our heart and mind and strength and soul and blood and sweat and tears, but we recognize there's likely going to be flaws in here. Please don't sure. condemn the things of God because we made a mistake. So good. That's so good. Yes. So, yeah. So the way we, we get around the, the challenge of scriptural errancy is to look for repeated themes. That's it. So the, the more repeated it is in scripture, the more likely it is to not be in error, right? That's not going to sure. be a, a, a flaw. That's going to be, if it's consistently taught, over books, over chapters, over the centuries of scripture. Yeah. Uh, you, you can you can take those to the bank, right? Those are going to be high confidence level, right? I love that. Uh, yeah. Divine doctrines are confirmed by more than one scriptural witness. President Nelson once said, scriptural witnesses authenticate each other. Yeah. Well, and over several books too, like if yes. the Bible and Book of Mormon and Doctrine yes. and Covenants, all three say the same thing. Yes. Yep. 
now we can now we can get we can start feeling like okay like i can be solid so for instance jesus is the christ the son of the living just put that through your doctrinal filter for a second right yeah that's something that is repeatedly taught consistently throughout scripture by multiple witnesses multiple sources i'm gonna have to say uh, yeah that's a 10 that's a 10 out of 10. that's a 10 out of 10. how about let's try another one pen easy yeah human nature needs to change to become more fit for the kingdom of god right we need to repent that there's things about our nature things that we think say and do that need that need to be refined and that refinement yes. process is called repentance and that's yes. consistently taught right all over scripture so it's actually interesting as you start to do this that uh, there's some things that are repeated a lot and there's a lot of things that are not repeated much at all yeah and and so that becomes i think interesting my my confidence levels start to adjust as i as i start to say this and here's a, here's a challenge i'll throw out to to anyone listening here, I throw this out to my students. I say, what if you never taught anything when you're, when you're called to teach a Sunday school class or give a talk in sacrament meeting or whatever? What if, what if you didn't teach anything that you couldn't anchor in the scriptures? And uh, what, if you didn't, what if you didn't teach anything that you couldn't anchor in more than one spot? What would you do about that? What, what kind of talks would you, would you give? And would you be willing to pay the price that it would, that it would, it would take to be able to to teach with that kind of scriptural rooting, right? And and, and if you yeah. do that, then your confidence is going to wax pretty strong as a, as a gospel teacher if you're anchoring it in the standard works. Now, some sometimes the question comes up: Well, what about you know what about living prophets? Aren't don't they trump scripture? And and what I try to show my students is, in terms of doctrine, no, no, the prophets themselves are saying repeatedly. The standard works trump. Now, what the prophets and apostles do have the prerogative to do is add to the scriptures, right? They yeah. can add to the scriptures. And, you know, most recently, DNC, what, 138? Is that our most recent yeah. edition? Joseph F. Smith, about 100 years ago, right? A little over 100 years ago, had a vision that was placed in the canon. When he had that vision, it was not canon. Now it's canon. And that was done through a process of uh, a vote and the Quorum of the Twelve, First Presidency, and then church members. And now it is in the it's in the canon, and so it has has reached that level of doctrinal standard. So when a prophet says something, and we do we do you know we've heard the quote that says put exclamation marks. I think President Nelson said instead of question marks behind when a prophet yeah. speaks. And if they're speaking yeah. in in general conference and they're addressing you know the the church, I I think we can for the most part take what they say as doctrine and and. But sometimes someone will say, well, there was a fireside I heard from my cousin's sister's friend where, you know, they said this and this yeah. and that. And that's, that's harder yeah. sometimes to be like, wait, <laughs> what did they say? And what was that? And yeah. But if you can, like you said, out of the mouth of two or, or three witnesses, if you can back it up with, with mm. you know, another apostle or or, or scripture, that's probably an important thing to do to say, well, this is, this has been said multiple times and that you can trust this. So that is important, yeah. I think. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So we're, we get into with, with the three lenses, right? The scripture is the right. primary lens for determining doctrine. Then you have prophets, then you have the spirit. Sometimes I have students who wrestle with this and say, it seems like prophets should be first <laughs> because yeah, we have living yeah. we have living prophets that we don't have to rely on dead prophets, right? Other students will say, I think the spirit should be primary. Like a member of the Godhead seems like it should trump what's right. recorded from dead prophets in scriptures or even my interpretation of living prophets. And so it's actually a fun wrestle, but but at the end of the day, like here's the deal. Each of those lenses 
could be considered the most important or primary lens for different purposes, depending on the question we're asking, right? If if we're speaking about the most important lens in terms of like guiding the worldwide church in the latter days, yeah. and modern prophets are primary without question, right? Right. But you know, if we're speaking about the most important lens in terms of helping us make wise day-to-day decisions in our personal lives, well, then the spirit is the primary lens, right? So it just kind of depends on our, our question. But if our question is, okay, if we're speaking in terms of establishing doctrine, like getting at and determining what's eternally true, like theologically sure. solid, yeah. then, then the scripture lens is by far the most important. So it's just, it, it, determ- it, it depends on the question we're asking in terms of which one of those we should kind of adjust in our minds as to say, okay, this one's going to trump the other ones, right? For instance, I've had some feedback, people push back a little bit and said, well, what about vaccinations? What about, what about masks, right? President Nelson asked us to do masks and, to, and encouraged us to get vaccinated. So that's not anywhere in the scriptures. Scriptures don't say we should get vaccinated. Scriptures don't right. say we should wear masks. So if, right. I run, if I run President Nelson's words through the, the lens of the scriptures, I'm getting nothing, yeah. which I would say, yeah, because that's not a doctrine. That's not a theological issue. That's, that is the president of the church inviting church members to be wise. And, and he's also the president of this institution. And so if, if he says, we'd like you to wear a mask when you come into church buildings, like that's a policy that we should, we should respect. That's, yes. not even, that's not even in the same ballpark as saying, is that theologically eternal? <laughs> no. I don't think wearing, wearing masks is not theologically eternal. But, but the president, we need a living prophet to, to guide and lead a modern church to reduce you know, a church from three to two hours to do all the amazing things he's been doing with the temple lately, tweaks and changes yes. and, and administrative, the inspiration to, to lead and guide a worldwide church. Like we need living prophets for that. But that's that's different. And I try to help my students see this. That's different than asking like, what's, what's the nature of God and the nature of yes. the atonement of Christ, the, the nature of uh, the potential of, of mankind and humanity, the, the plan of salvation, the nature of the fall and the creation and, you know, the nature of the afterlife, the spirit world, the the kingdoms of glory. And can we progress in the kingdoms of glory or can we not? You know, what exactly is covered by the atonement of Jesus? And and the, these kinds of questions are different, right, than, than policy type questions or even yes. inspire changes to the living church to help us better navigate the latter day situation. So that's how I like to sort of parse those out. And it usually takes the the steam out of the kettle a little bit there. Yeah, absolutely. And But I think you make an important point that when people are talking about what do we do when the prophet says this, advice for us in any given situation with world crisis and things that are happening, he is in, entitled to give us real world, you know, in real time advice in, yes. depending on what is happening. And like you said, of the scriptures also I get from my young women. Well, there's nowhere that says I can I don't that I, I can't wear a bikini. Like there's nowhere in the scriptures, and I'm like, well, no. But in the furthest strength of view, that talks about modesty, and that's from our prophets and apostles. And so th- there's lots of things that you could say. Well, that's not word for word in here, mm-hmm. but it does. And, and there's not anything about yeah wearing masks because, like you said, that that's not that doesn't have to do with our eternal salvation. But I do think that following the prophet, it does. And, and, and we are blessed from doing what he says, even the little things like if if president Nelson came out tomorrow and said, 
you need to wear a pink bracelet on your left wrist <laughs> from now until you die. I would do it and like it, it, <laughs> and not knowing why and not knowing if if he said just trust me and and you don't understand why. Mm. I would do it because I do think that they know so much more than we do and they have our best interest mm. in mind. And and for me it's like why question? Why why mm. you know, what does it benefit you to say, well, I'm not sure. I think he's just saying that as a man instead of as a prophet. Like, wouldn't you rather err on the side of he mm. knows more and he's wiser and he has our best interest at heart? And that's what I would think that you would want to that you would want to follow him and and because he knows more. I I don't I don't trust myself. Like there are so many things I'm like, oh, man, I have no idea what the right thing is. And how comforting is it to know that there are apostles and prophets that are like you can trust us. You can listen to us. And how great does it takes the guessing out of what's the best thing to do? It makes life easier to follow them. And Absolutely. it's not, and if that, yeah. Well, and it's not, I know people, some people say, well, you're just, you're sheep. You're just following blindly. And it's interesting that that scripture, that is actually referenced several times in the scriptures about being God's being sheep and and heavenly father being or jesus christ being the shepherd and and they compare christ himself to a lamb and so mm. i am happy to be part of that fold of christ i'm happy to be a sheep if it means that i'm led by the savior wow you just took the shame out of being a sheep <laughs> it's <was> amazing <laughs> you just anchored it see what we just did you just anchored it in the standard works and uh, and just raised it up. That was awesome. <laughs> you just said as I was actually looking up like ask, seek, and knock as you were talking because I wanted to know how often. And and seek is in like I don't even know over a hundred references throughout the scripture. Through and and that's something that I was going to bring up is that doctrine of asking, seeking, and knocking is so imperative, and that. In through through the New Testament, through through the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, we are repeatedly asked, and along that same line, it says, "Doubt not, it don't doubt, but ask, ask questions, but don't go into it." Well, prove me wrong. It's more of if you have a sincere question, ask, find out about it, and all these questions that you have about doctrine and the church and and what is what should I be doing and what is right and what did someone just say versus what is what is doctrinally correct and what is heavenly father wants us to find these answers for ourselves yes. he wants us to learn with and not doubt which is different doubting and asking are different things and so go into it with faith and he it says he will reveal it you shall find it shall be opened unto you he's not going to leave you hanging but don't doubt and don't fear. Don't go into it with, okay, prove me wrong because I don't believe this. Go into it as help me understand this better. And that is when I think we will, the mysteries of God will be revealed. We will understand things and our faith will be strengthened. I love that. Now you're, now you're talking about the third lens, aren't you? You're talking about confirmed by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, we'll be guided to truth. And we yes. can have confidence that that will occur. How, how often is that promised? in scripture, ask and ye shall receive. Yeah. Uh, seek, seek and ye shall find. That's, that's, and that's been my experience. It does take hard work, right? That's, yes. it's not, it's not a, a simple prayer. It's the prayer followed by the seeking and the knocking and the digging and the pondering, right? Go, go for, for sure. some locks, 
think about this question, go back to the scriptures, compare that with you know, what the prophets are teaching today and, and get a, get a cup of hot chocolate and, and uh, go, go walk in some nature as you think yes. ponder on these things. And right. Let's, let's not, let's not come to any, any, you know, sudden conclusions. Let's for sure ask, asking, seeking, knocking for me is a, is a, is a involved process. I love it. It works. it works. It works. Scott, I am so grateful that you've taken the time to come on doing good for all of your incredible insights. And I could talk to you for hours about this. We might need to do a part two and, and dive even deeper. But thank you so much for your time today and, and for all of your just enlightenment on this and for all the good you are doing. Well, thank you so much, Carmen, for letting me be on today.